At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. In church, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Hosanna in the highest. Let's praise his name, church. On Palm Sunday, we are here seeing our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews. Praise his name. Man, they're adorable, right? Now you got to deal with me for the next 30 minutes. So I apologize for that. Um, But, you know, at one time I was cute, okay? I was, believe it or not. Uh, Man, we are here in our third week of our series, The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. In a world where, what is truth? Why does it matter? Why can't we just create our own truth? We're spending some time digging into the Word, determining what God says is truth. And and so here we are. We are less than a week away from our Good Friday services. Who's going to be here at Good Friday? Do we have some people that are... No, don't raise your hands. Go, Okay, that's much more culturally relevant. Okay, no, here we go. Uh, Who's going to be here on Easter Sunday? Okay, good. I had a couple raise the roofs, too. Wow. Early 2000s, here we come. Well, so excited about that. And we've been talking about, for the last month, these two words, invest and invite. It's not just a catchy slogan. We want to invest in people's lives, and we want them to know Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that is inviting them here. And I just want to do something very practical for about 40 seconds. You can put on your watches, and I want to tell you some ways that you can invite. Because I think it's very important, we hear these phrases, we glaze over and forget, man, this is not just the person next to me's mission, or, or Pastor Winston's mission, or the elder's mission, or the staff's mission. No, this is our mission as the church. And there's many different ways that we can invest and invite. I actually wrote down a handful, and one of them I call the bashful neighbor. Okay, Some of you have lived by the same person for how many years? 10, 20, 30, 100 years, right? Some of you have been by these neighbors. Invite them. Don't be bashful. Be able to invite them to be part of the church. There's other ways. Bribery is a good thing. Hey, if you come on Sunday, you come on Friday, I'll take you to lunch. (laughs) I'll take you to dinner. I'll invite you over. Don't ever underestimate the power of food. We had a whole series on it, right? Meals with Jesus, Food make people happy, okay? That's simple. Invite. Social media. Social media can get us in trouble sometimes, but don't be afraid to share, to like, to write on Facebook, write on uh, Instagram, write on whatever social platform you have uh, about what we're doing here and some of the opportunities for people. That's a great way. But regardless, you can just ask. (laughs) Just ask people. And what's the worst thing you're going to hear? Uh, I, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Uh, the elders and I, we go to uh, Panera, 
And, and we spend time there every Wednesday morning. And we have this sweet lady who serves and helps us. We love her. She is great. And we invite her almost every Wednesday. We would love to see you. Love to see her. Same response every time. Do you really want your church to catch on fire? <laughs> and I, I'm here. <laughs> We're here. And it's not on fire yet. We've had one little explosion over there before, if you guys remember, with some of the wires. But that's the closest thing we've got, okay? So let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the text. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can have a time to reflect and take, take a moment to, to remember through communion, remembering what you've done for us. And to see the kids on stage, the next generation, praising your name, worshiping your name. That tells me that you are not done with our nation. And, and I believe that our church here and many churches in our community are, are investing and pouring into the next generation that they may know your name and may serve you. So we pray over this morning. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Okay, let me ask you a question. What is your view of Jesus? Why don't you think about that? What is your view of Jesus? Of who he is? Do we believe what it says in the word to be truth? Do we believe it to be accurate? Do we believe that stuff really happened? Like, like did he really take this man by the name of Lazarus and raise him up from the dead? <laughs> did, did he really heal the woman who was, who was having bleeding and ailments and wasted her whole money inheritance for almost two decades and heal her in a moment? Did he really feed 5,000? And we think about this stuff and we think about Jesus and what we believe of Jesus has huge implications on our faith. And what I believe, and what I've even been convicted on numerous times in my life, is my view of Christ is impoverished. It's too small. And when we have a low or impoverished view of Christ, it naturally translates to a low or impoverished view of God. So the lower he is, the lower God is. And then Things get out of whack and we think too highly of ourselves, or our will or our gifts. When, when we look at the text, and we're going to be reading in John chapter 1 today, so you can prepare to go there, John chapter 1. What we need to know is that Christ, Jesus, as we see in the word, needs to be elevated higher than we could ever have imagined. And so we've been talking about this creed the Apostles' Creed. And this creed was used for new converts, used for these people who maybe were illiterate to have this like rule book on what to believe and what is false theology. It was a great tool for the early church. And so I believe with the Apostles' Creed and what we're talking today, they are right on when they talk about Jesus because ultimately Jesus shines the light on God. Jesus takes that spotlight, and with his life, with his ministry, he shines it on God, and so should we with our lives. And so today, as we look at the next section of the Apostles' Creed, this is what it says. It says, 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we see, as they want to be very doctrinally sound, that we are called to believe in Christ, supposed to believe that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so if Jesus shines the light on God and he's the Son of God, how does Jesus shine the light on God? How does he in his life, in his ministry, the first thing we see is he shines that light on God through his relationship to God. Let's look at the first four verses of John. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, we had opening, uh, opening day this week, right? Baseball, we get to watch the Tigers lose again. Wow, woo! My favorite time of the year when April starts to watch the Tigers lose. You know, and it's in the big inning that we get to see that. That's what I was thinking of in the beginning. And, and we get to see in the text something so vital in those first two verses. You see how word is capitalized? It's because the word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And what's important here is that we know that Jesus was the word. And you see that word was? That's an imperfect tense, a Greek imperfect tense, which means there was no beginning. He was and always is preexistent, eternal with God, the triune God in perfect relationship. Jesus wasn't created from God because Jesus and God are co-equals in the Trinity. And that's important for us to know because in the beginning, he always was. And he was the great creator of the world. And so it says also in the final phrase that the word was God. And there's just so much rich theology in this first chapter of John that we can glean from and understand that Jesus eternally existed with God. Again, he was there in the beginning. And we can look at different areas in the New Testament that affirm this, but I think John is a great place to start because it just shows us in the Gospels, in the story of Christ, just who he is. Perfectly human and perfectly God. And so you think about it, right? The, the universe was created. God created the heavens and the earth. And, and then you have where it says the spirit was hovering over the waters. So God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit was hovering over the waters. Well, where, where's Jesus? Well, you have to remember that the word of God was spoken. Didn't we just talk about the word as Christ? The word of God was spoken. Everything that was said, let there be, 
was created by Jesus. By the word of God, the world was created. By Jesus, the world was made. Do you guys ever say something just to get a rise out of someone? Do we got it? <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> we have instigators, right? I mean, I know our church, we are, we are a perfect group of people, right? Do you guys ever instigate just to get a rise out of someone? I think about spouses, right? I think it's part of the marital contract. Like, you will find their, their trigger points and you'll poke the bear, right? It just, it just, it comes with the turf. Amanda could come up here and, and have a scroll and share a bunch of different things that I do in, in detail. Yes, I know I'm not perfect. I know you're surprised. But, but here's the thing. There's something about Causing a rise out of people, right? You have a little smirk, right? For those Michael Jordan fans, I'm like, oh, LeBron's better. And for the LeBron fans, I'm like, oh, Michael Jordan's better. You know, 20 years ago, I was like, oh, NSYNC is better than Backstreet Boys. <laughs> bye, 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 Backstreet Boys, right? <laughs> like, you just cause those things. And then there's some delicious Mexican restaurants in this area. Is it Juan Miguel's Oro Charos? You know, it's, this is life or death situations. See? I knew it, Charles, Miguel, okay? The whole point is this. Sometimes it's enjoyable to, to cause a rise. And, and so you see in the life of Christ, at times it seems that he, he does things and, and you wonder, is he trying to just get a rise out of them? Is he trying to, to poke the bear? And, and the thing about Christ and his ministry is I didn't think he necessarily did that to poke the bear. I, I just think he was speaking truth. And when he spoke truth, people got offended. I mean, look at his, his ministry in John's gospel. He talked about, uh, before Abraham was, I am. You know, before he said that, they were like, he's demon-possessed, right? This guy is, he is messed up. He's possessed by the devil, and he said, before Abraham was, I am, truly, truly. And then he goes on a couple chapters later, and he talks about how him and the Father are one, and that no one can snatch anyone out of his arms, because him and the Father are one. And you think about in these situations, what did they do after he said these bold statements? They picked up rocks. They picked up rocks and they were trying to kill him. They were trying to stone him to death because of these bold claims. Because he was claiming to be God. And so Jesus was shining the light on God because of his relationship to him. So no matter our thoughts on this matter, scripture clearly shows us that Jesus is the Son of God, and they lived in perfect relationship with each other. And he wasn't just a good man, a good prophet. He gave up his privileges of heaven to come and be a servant with us. And so the question comes back, do we believe this? Do we have that relationship with God ourselves? Because how we respond to those questions 
will impact our eternity. Better yet, if we are in Christ, and we went up to the five people in your life that you interact with most who do not know Christ, and I asked them, hey, did they give a positive view of Christ, of God, of church? How would they respond? Do our lives shine on Christ as Christ's life shines on God? Are, are we reflecting light of the true light? That's a polarizing question, one that can be hard for us to answer. So how do we shine the light on Christ? We see through Christ. He, he showed it through relationships. So do we. How do we, show, how do we shine the light on Christ, on God? Through our relationship. Not just talking, but a life that is lived, surrendered for Jesus. Second thing we see is that by enlightening everyone who believes, we can shine on God. Enlightening everyone who believes in him in this way, we can shine the light on God. In verse 9 through 11 of John 1, this is what it says. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, John starts using the phrase, true light. And we see that word often in the Bible, true worshipers, the, the true bread, the true knowledge, uh, true vine. We see that often. And so when it says the true light came into the world and enlightened everyone, the word, the incarnate Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, shining the light on God. But if you look at verse 10 and 11, there's some irony. If you look at it, it shows us that the world which Christ created rejected him. Have you guys ever experienced rejection? Maybe you applied for a job and, and they rejected you. Maybe you asked someone on a date, they rejected you. Maybe a coach rejected you. What about a spouse? A spouse rejected you. No matter how hard you tried, no matter how much you gave or emptied yourself in love unconditional for them, and they rejected you. Maybe, maybe a child. Maybe your mother and father rejected you. How did that make you feel? I'm sure it wasn't like, man, I love rejection. 
so glad I was rejected this week. No, we feel, we feel in so much pain with rejection, especially for those who we love. In Christ, I can imagine how he felt when he was rejected by the very people he created. And the very people he was going to die for. And yet he still came as the true light. This is a reminder for us that you can be religious and still miss the true light. You can have a lot of, a lot of head knowledge and still miss the light. But not all rejected him. What we see is not everyone missed the true light. Some received him. And what it says in verse 12 is it uses this word right. They were given the right to be children of God. So they're given the right, translated both right and the power to be children of him. So if we receive the true light, then we become heirs, we become children, and and we are enlightened. And and what blows my mind, what I believe is profound, what's incomprehensible, what is absurd, is that he... For the people who rejected, he would still come. He would still do this. Last week, if you were here, we shouted to the Lord. We shouted in worship. We talked about how we can worship the Lord with reverence, but being loud. It's okay to be reverently loud for Christ. Why? Because he saved our souls, right? It's absurd to me. That he loves us that much. That he would give us eternal life with him. And so my, my challenge to us today, don't reject Jesus. Don't reject him. Some of us, we have rejected, we've pushed away, we've put up walls, we've fell in, fallen into sin, we've got comfortable, we've been safe. Live a life like, like Romans 12.1. Present our lives as a living and holy sacrifice to him. Here I am, God. Here's my life. Here's my limited resources of gifts. Here's my limited resources of time. Take it. Use it. Whatever it is, take it. Make me more of a vessel for you. Make my win, not my career. Make my win, not my paycheck. Make my win not my comfort. Make my win a life obediently following, faithful to you. And let me not be safe. Let me live a life of urgency. And even if, with that urgency, with a life of evangelism, knowing that we can share our faith, we can be bold in our faith, we can be kind, we can be the love of Christ, and people could still reject him. All we're supposed to do is give him the opportunity. That, that's what we are called to do. 
So we look at this, we look at like Jesus who shined the light on God by enlightening everyone we know with the gospel. He allows them to receive or reject. We look at the next two, um, well, we look at verse 14 and 18. And there's another way that we see that Christ shined the light on God and he shined it on God by making God known physically by making God known physically. Look at verse 14 first. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. In verse 18, this is what it says. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the father's side. He has made him known. So this is interesting. Let's go back to verse 14. And it says, the word became flesh. We, we know this as the incarnation. Have you heard that term before? Right? In its technical term, it means the infleshing of God. So God became man. And this is important because I don't want to miss this. This is one of those things I star, I highlight, and I'm like, I cannot miss this. Jesus is not a divine being who pretends to be human, nor is Jesus a human who becomes divine. He is fully human and fully divine at the same time. The exact same time. Theologically, this is called the hypostatic union of God. We know through the hypostatic union that he was born of the Holy Spirit as seen in Luke 1 born of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And when he was born in our world, he dwelt among us. Quite literally, that means he pitched his tent. Well, do you know anything about pitching a tent? Think about the Old Testament. Think about Exodus. Think about Moses. They're wandering around that desert and they pitched tents they stayed and they created a tabernacle and God pitched a tent in the middle of their nation and he made his home among them and they saw his glory. So as God was in the tabernacle, now Christ is with us. And when Moses went into the tabernacle, his face illuminated with the glory of God. In verse 18, it says that it, no one has ever seen God. Well, now we do. We saw him in Jesus. We saw with God in the flesh. We saw his glory. We saw him. And with that, he shines the light on God because he physically was in flesh with us. Jesus is the climax of the biblical story. And I love how the author of Hebrews says it here in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed as heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus shines the light on God physically by making God known because he's the exact image of him. 
the imprint of him. I heard this story by Tom Wright. He was a a college chaplain at University of Oxford. This is very interesting. He said he would love seeing the undergraduates come in. They were freshmen, and they would walk around, and he said, I would try to get to know them and and build kind of an acquaintance with them so we could have further conversation. And so he talked to them, hey, I'm a chaplain here. And and they'd say, oh, yeah, it's good to talk to you, but just a heads up, you're not going to be seeing a lot of me because I do not believe in God. And so he would turn back on them, and he said, this is one of my favorite things to do with these incoming freshmen. He's like, oh, that's interesting. Which God are you talking about? And so they say, oh, uh, well, well, we're talking about the, the God who's in the sky, and, you know, and he occasionally does a miracle, and, um, and he's really mad at us, and he sends a bunch of people to hell. And, and so then they would try to explain the God that they were thinking so he'd know what kind of God they were talking about. They would just take the word God as a universal meaning. And then after, he'd say, oh, well, I don't believe in that God either. That's not a God I want to follow. And so then they would look with intrigue. He says, that's not the God that I'm talking about. The God I'm talking about is seen through Jesus of Nazareth. That's the God that I would love to talk about with you. And I would love for you to learn about. And people with their faces, they were kind of thrown off because they they had to explain and, and interpret what they believed. And he was talking about over the half the college chaplains at the University of Oxford were atheists. And how there was just so much darkness in the ministry there. But he wanted people to recognize and know the true Jesus. Not just the Jesus they heard about on a a television, on on social media. He wanted them to know the true Christ. If we want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. If we want to know how Christ is going to interact with the world, look to Jesus. If we want to know how to respond, how to love a very unlovable world, look to Jesus because Jesus defines what it means when we say we believe in God because of Jesus. So I'll come back, I'll circle back to that question we said at the beginning. What is your view of Jesus? Do you really believe? Because those questions will change your life for an eternity. My prayer is that we believe in Jesus, his son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Let us pray. Father, right now as we worship your name, I pray that we don't look at the broken people who call themselves Christians, nominal Christians. We we look to you. We don't look at TV programs, false teaching, or anything else to see the image of you. We look to Jesus who shines the light on you as the true light. And Father, if there's someone in this room who's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today is the day. 
that they remember he's, you're not just a man. That Christ, you were the incarnate God who came to save us from our sin and brokenness. God, let us think, let us marinate on that question. What is our view of Jesus? We love you. And we pray this all in your name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.